This is the Rundown. Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station. Live from the auction community studio for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jesse Morrison behind the glass. And Sarah Cazell with the post-update dance. How many of my shows do you think I've started laughing because of you? I don't know. Hopefully all of them. <laughs> sometimes because of me, sometimes at me. Yeah, often at, but still yeah. ultimately because of. Right? That's fair. Like well, yeah, I guess that is one and the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm funny is what you're saying. Thank you. Eh, I, yeah, well, I guess. I hear, I hear what you're saying. Thank it, you. I don't want to send you off into the weekend on a, on a bad note. So, yes, we'll give you that. <laughs> you go ahead. Feel like you have a good sense of humor as you head off into <laughs> your weekend. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. Appreciate yeah, that's, it. That's why I'm here. And that alone is why I'm here. Uh, yeah. So, Sarah with the dance. Jesse Morrison is behind the glass tonight. We've got a full two hours, and we are going into a busy weekend at a busy time of year. And we will start the show tonight with the Phoenix Suns. In the middle of this road trip through the Eastern Conference. And the rare loss last night in the sense where it was like, it just never really felt like they were going to win that game. And that's fine. You know, I mean, look, you're not going out there trying to lose. But when you look at the schedule and you've played Monday, Wednesday, Thursday in Milwaukee, in Philadelphia, in Boston, there's going to be some games you lose over the course of an 82 or in this case, a 72 game season where you're you're just, you're not going to hit the panic button. That would be first of all, 42 and 17. It would be silly to hit the panic button after any loss, as long as all your players are coming out of it relatively healthy. Uh, But especially a a scenario like that. Now they still got two more games on this trip and we can get into a little bit later on the show. What, you know, what you need from this team down the stretch, as far as a successful road trip right here though, I mean, Brooklyn's beat up. None of their main guys are there. They still have a decent team without Durant and Harden, but they're, the Suns should be able to beat that team. It's tough to go into Brooklyn, certainly, but I also feel like the Suns may be out for a little revenge in that one because the last time they played Brooklyn, they were up by, what, like 24 and lost that game. So you got that game Sunday, you've got the Knicks on Monday, and then you're back here and for the the. Quite honestly, the more important games at home against the Clippers next Wednesday, at home against the Jazz next Friday. I mean, next next Friday is going to be just ridiculousness in a good way. The D-backs are playing the Rockies. The Suns are playing the Jazz. The Coyotes have a game that night, I believe, against Vegas. And, of course, that'll be the second round of the NFL draft that night, too. So uh, next Friday we'll make up for a good chunk of, of those um, those two or three months we had last year where there just were no sports and we were trying to talk ourselves into watching Tom Brady golf and uh, uh, the Korean Baseball League. I remember we all picked a team uh, in the newsroom last year to follow until we until we got uh, Major League Baseball and everything back. Um, it is interesting, though, if, if you look at what the Suns have left, now 59 games into the 72-game season. I think Dave Burns just said it last segment on their show. Uh, they've been playing about 800 basketball for a long time now. Uh, and they haven't really made up any ground on the Jazz. So this is where the fine line that you have to walk as a successful NBA team with championship aspirations, this is where that line comes into play. Doesn't seem like the Lakers are going to be dropping too far. Like they're in fifth in the Western Conference, probably locked into fifth. No LeBron yet, but... um, you know, you get Anthony Davis back. Like, the Lakers are not, they're not going to free fall the way some people were thinking they might. And the only reason that really matters if you're a Suns fan is you just don't want to drop out of the top three then. 
You don't want to play the Lakers in the first round. You've had too good of a season to have to play the Lakers in the first round. It's not even a matter of being afraid of the Lakers. It's not that. It's just you want to give yourself the easiest path through the Western Conference if you really are looking big picture, thinking you can make it to the NBA Finals. You don't want to go through the Lakers in the first round and the Clippers and then the Jazz or whatever. So it is important to stay in the top three. I mean, it'd be nice to stay top two. It'd be nice to to win the conference. And obviously Utah's playing without Donovan Mitchell for a little bit here. So that should at least be possible. But again, the Suns are 42-17, and and they've actually fallen a little further behind Utah lately, now two games back. The only reason I bring all this up is when you start to get into load management, which I hate, and I think it's one of the worst things in the NBA, when guys just sit, you know, because there are certainly some coaches and teams that take it to a ridiculous level, and they just have guys sitting out, you know, a third of the games, because all they care about is is the playoffs, which... You can have that philosophical conversation some other time. If you're a really good team, yes, you should only care about the playoffs, but you also need to like keep the integrity of the sport. And I know that Adam Silver and the NBA don't love it when they have a game, like a showcase national TV game, and Greg Popovich is sitting all his, his great players when he had great players. Um, so you can get into all that. I hate load management, but I will say this. Whether by injury or simply by teams kind of taking it easy with their best players... You look around the league and, like, Giannis has missed some games for the Bucks. Uh, the Sixers, obviously, Ben Simmons not playing now. Embiid missed some games. Again, that's mostly by injury. Uh, Brooklyn, Durant has missed a ton. Harden's missing some. Kyrie just, Kyrie just took a break in the middle of the season earlier this year. The Jazz playing without Mitchell right now. The Clippers, if you look at the Clippers specifically, Kawhi and Paul George, some of this is injury, some of it is resting. Those, just those two guys have missed a combined 31 games this season. And assuming they're fine for the playoffs, you know, that's that's a lot more well-rested than that that team is going to be, or at least their two best players, than the Phoenix Suns, who if you look at the big four for the Suns, so Booker, Paul, Aiton, and Bridges, those four guys have, have missed a combined five games this season. If you're looking for any reason for concern with the Suns. To me, it is, you're kind of thin in the, you know, as far as if DeAndre Ayton never fouls out of a game in the playoffs. But the other one is, do you need to manage the minutes? I, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to mess with what they're doing to the point where like, oh yeah, Paul and, and Booker are sitting tonight or Paul and Bridges are sitting and Booker and Ayton are sitting tomorrow or whatever. Like, I don't want to do that. But we could probably dial back the minutes a little bit here down the stretch because you're probably going to be a top three team either way. And... Like I said, if you if you're not sitting the guys, if they're not missing an entire game, maybe it doesn't take them out of the rhythm that this team is on. But maybe just dial back the minutes a little bit here. And I'm not even saying do it yet, but within the next you know, week or two, with the regular season ends May mid May for the Suns, just something to keep an eye on. Just because the teams around the Suns, whether they've done it intentionally or not, their star players are going to be a lot more rested when the playoffs come around. And maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, the Suns are a younger team other than Chris Paul. You start looking at those big four guys. But they looked exhausted yesterday. And you don't want that in the playoffs, obviously. All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. We got the Diamondbacks in Atlanta right now. And J.B. Bukoskis is entering the game for the D-backs, trailing 4-2 to in this one. So he's about to step in there. The Diamondbacks have a home run from Carson Kelly 
fifth home run already this season. That came in the fifth inning. But they, they trail the Braves 4-2. to D-backs right now are 9-10 and on the season. So, and finally... Closing in on being done with that 22-game stretch to begin the year where 17 of them are road games. I, 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 feel, I feel better about this team now than I did in the days leading up to the regular season. I mean, now you've, you've almost made it through that brutal stretch with 17 of 22 on the road, and you're pretty close to 500. And Zach Gallen is back. And it doesn't sound like Cattel Marte is going to be out that long. And then the flip side, of course, is that you have been able to stay afloat even without him for a good chunk of this. Now, it would help to win tonight or, or win the series with the Braves this weekend, at least. If you win the series, you know, you get to 11-11 when you're uh, returning home next week. I would say that's, all things considered, a solid start. I, I don't think you ever call 500 like a success, but that's about as close to success for a start to the season Considering who the Diamondbacks played to begin the year with the Padres, just considering the expectations, how how uh, bleak things looked when Zach Gallen was hurt before the season even began, and then 17 of 22 on the road. Yeah, if you come home out of that 11 and 11, that's that's good. That's about it's better than I think most Diamondbacks fans would have asked for uh, at that point. Got a trade in the NFL today. The NFL draft, of course, begins on Thursday, so a week from tonight will be in rounds two and three. Kansas City getting Orlando Brown from the Baltimore Ravens. They get a a second-round pick and a sixth-round pick, too. The Ravens get the Chiefs' first-round pick this year, so number 31 overall. A third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and then a fifth-rounder next year. So, the long and short of that is the Chiefs have revamped their offensive line. Uh, Adam Schefter tweeted out, now that, that revamped offensive line includes Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Kyle Long, Austin Blythe, uh, that's <laughs> there was a, there was like a week there where it was like wait a minute are, are the Chiefs not going to have an offensive line next year are we going to have to watch Patrick Mahomes get beat up like he did in the playoffs and uh, the Chiefs have at least on paper fixed that where it's interesting is you don't typically see two of the top teams in a conference make a trade with each other but uh, but they did today the Ravens and Chiefs pulling off that deal so hopefully Baltimore does something with that uh, that first round pick this year and, and some of those other picks because they. Just made the Chiefs better in the short term, for sure. Uh, and NCAA basketball, real quick, James Akinjo, the leading scorer for U of A this past year, off to Baylor. It's hard to fault somebody for going to the team that just won the national championship. So, I mean, the, the problem, I guess, in college basketball is too many guys are just, it's it's too many. It's too many guys transferring at this point. But um, there you go. So U of A takes a bit of a hit. Today, that's going to happen when you switch coaches. But honestly, it's just happening to teams even if they aren't switching coaches. All right, when we come back, the Arizona Cardinals, less than a week away from the draft, they've been extremely aggressive all offseason. What would be the most aggressive thing they could do on draft night? We'll talk about it next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown with Luke Lipinski. I've always heard you're a very good guy and FM, Arizona's Sports Station. (laughs) Yes, it is almost here, the NFL Draft, a week from yesterday. Always excited for the NFL Draft. Um, You know, years past, like last year, we just needed anything. We just needed sports, so it, it took on a whole new level because we basically had the last dance documentary on the Bulls, and we had the NFL Draft for a while there year before, obviously exciting here because the Cardinals were 
taking Kyler Murray, or at least had the first pick, and then ultimately took Kyler Murray. Even the year before that, it was it was exciting in the moment when they traded up to take take uh, Josh Rosen, and then it was just miserableness for. I guess misery is the word, huh? Miserableness is not really a word. No, I don't think that's a word. No, not yet. Okay. Um, yeah, so misery after that. But uh, the draft coming up a week from last night, and this idea has gained traction. I don't think the Cardinals are going to do it, but the idea of them trading up for Kyle Pitts has has gained a lot of traction nationally. And we've, we've been talking about it here on, the, on this station for you know a couple of weeks, just the idea of it. Right, because I mean, Steve Keim has been so aggressive this off season, going out, and the second there was even the slightest rumor that the Raiders might be parting with Rodney Hudson, Steve Keim jumps in and makes a trade. And J.J. Watt, okay, yeah, is he going to Cleveland? Is he going to Green Bay? Is he going to Buffalo? And then he's just on Arizona. He's tweeting out a picture of himself working out in a Cardinal shirt. And obviously, last year at this time, you go out and you make the trade for uh, for DeAndre Hopkins. Cardinals have been aggressive, going out and getting Malcolm Butler, making uh, just a lot of moves. And so when you go to the draft, is the smart move to to trade a ton of picks up when you don't really have a ton of picks to take Kyle Pitts? Picks for Pitts. Uh, is that the smart move for the Cardinals? Eh, probably not, realistically. Like, I know Steve Kime yesterday was talking. He's like, well, yeah, okay, we don't have this pick. We don't have that pick. But the, we, we traded those picks for Rodney Hudson and DeAndre Hopkins. All right, well, we you know what those guys are. And you needed both of them badly. At the time, it wasn't just, hey, these guys are good. You needed a receiver. It was ridiculous. You could get DeAndre Hopkins, but obviously you jump at that. You needed a guy like Rodney Hudson on that offensive line. Probably ridiculous you were able to get him, too, honestly. Trading up for a tight end in the draft, look, I'm not going to lie. If they if they do it on Thursday, it's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, but realistically, I just I don't know that that's that fits in with Kime's draft philosophy. Uh, this is Dan Orlovsky though on ESPN saying, "Hey, <laughs> this is what I want to see Arizona do." Their offense is still missing a pass catching threat. DeAndre Hopkins is remarkable. We yeah. all know that, right? And they brought in Jay Green, and okay, but they still need another weapon on the outside and Kyle Pitts doesn't necessarily have to play okay my fingers are in the ground and I'm going to go play tight end he's just going to be really a wide receiver in kind of this four spread offense Hmm. and if I'm Steve Kime I'm calling the general manager of the Cardinals I'm calling Terry Fontenot and go okay I'll give you the 16th pick and I'll give you the 49th pick this year and then I'm only going to start with my second round pick for next year though and just to see if I can get him to bite and I just think Hmm. that if candidly if you told me the Cardinals went and got Kyle Pitts, I can legit sit here and say, okay, they're a Super Bowl contender. I, le- wow. I, I feel that confident Woo! in the quarterback, in the pieces of the offense, and <laughs> some of the additions that they've made to the defense. And Kyle Pitts is such a special player that he immediately becomes Kyler Murray's Travis Kelsey. It's enticing. I mean, especially when you put it like that. If you could guarantee me Kyle Pitts is Kyler Murray's Travis Kelsey and that the Cardinals would use him in such a way where he could put up Travis Kelsey-like numbers in a couple years, okay, well then, yeah, you would do it. You would do it. There's not any guarantees in the draft, and we already have Kime saying he's more likely to trade down than up if he trades that first-round pick. Like I said, it's it's not... It wouldn't be a bad move. It'd be a lot of fun on draft night. It'd be a lot of fun, you know, once the season started, too. I'm not saying that, like, I'm opposed to it, I just don't think they're going to do it.
but we'll see. Obviously, I mean, less than a week now. Over to college football. Jesse, I don't know if you saw this. Heather Dinich had a story up on ESPN today talking about the, uh, the, the college football playoff management committee at least looking at the possibility of expanding the playoff. And they were uh, presented with a few different options ranging from 6 to 16 teams in the playoffs. But this is, this is the most college football thing ever. You start to read through it, and you're like, um, oh, yeah, but if this happened, it wouldn't happen until at least 2025. Like, okay, cool. Why, why is college football, college athletics, I guess, in general, why is that the one area that has to move more slowly than molasses if they're going to make a change? I, I don't know. I, I literally have no answer for this. Like, all, I think every college football fan, there's no college football fan out there that, I, I, that I've really heard say, I really like the current system. Let's keep four teams. Like, even five teams would be better with, like, a play into the four. Six teams. Just that extra shot for one other team. Because it is boring, in my opinion, every year to see Alabama. And uh, they, they put in Notre Dame all the time. And Notre Dame never deserves to be there. And Clemson. And, you know, the, these same schools every single year. It's just not fun. You know, we're out here in Pac-12 territory. So I, I just think that, you know, having a Pac-12, it just gives the Pac-12 more of a more of a shot too. Yeah. So uh, it's it's much better in my opinion to just even even increase by one or two more teams. I think you hit the nail on the head right there when you said it's boring. I mean, at the end of the day, this is supposed to be entertaining. And if Alabama is going to win every year because they're so much better than everybody else, that that doesn't necessarily bore me. I mean, I'm not an Alabama fan, but if you're dominant, if you're a dynasty, like in general. I don't, I don't like it. Like when the Patriots got to a point where they were winning every other year, when they were in the Super Bowl, I was pretty consistently rooting for the other team. But I respect that. I mean, I can at least respect, hey, this team is just better each year. But it feels like we know who the four teams, or at least three of the four teams, are going to be every year. And then that fourth team, it's like, you can choose between these other three. Like it just feels like there's like six or seven teams at the start of every year, and the four playoff teams are going to come out of that group of six or seven. This is all self-imposed. It's not like somebody wrote these into law and we have to abide by this forever. Like, I, I understand that these are college football rules. Change them. We're all getting bored outside of Alabama and Clemson. I'll be honest. If I didn't have this job, I wouldn't be watching the playoff anymore in college football. Like, I'd check in on the championship game because there's always some of the best players in the draft. And I love college football. But you get to that point of the year, and it's like you're watching the NFL, you're watching college football, the NBA, for me, the NHL, they're all going. Uh, I don't really care to watch Alabama and whoever they play, whoever they're going to blow out in the first round of the tournament again, whether it's Notre Dame or Ohio State, because it's just it's the same thing every year. You make it eight teams, and or even to your point, Jesse, I mean, you can make it five or six. If you do that, just make sure all of the Power Five schools are represented. And then everybody has to shut up. Like Central Florida a couple years ago when they were undefeated and didn't get to play and so they went out and made their national championship shirts. Well, you can look at that two ways. One, they were undefeated, so they should keep getting to play if you're going to sell us this lie that every game is, is, is meaningful during the season and then a team goes undefeated and they don't get to play. And on the other hand, if you're sick of Central Florida because you think they get blown out, well, then put them out there and let them get blown out. College football is the only sport where we just talk through what might happen instead of actually playing it. I don't understand. <laughs> And we're still doing it in 2021. So you'd go five or six? No, actually, I have I have a full plan about this. Nobody really likes it, but it is. Oh, good. Then all, they'll probably take it. Yeah, it is all 
10 conference champions, champions and then six at large. Oh, so you want to go 16. Yeah, I mean, the FCS, I think they do 20 or 24 now, and it works great down there, so why not do it at this level? I mean, I would cut maybe a, a regular season game or get rid of the conference championship game and just go with the regular season champion. But, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think the... I mean, I think this gives more of the NCAA, you know, basketball tournament um, with the 64 or the 68 team field where everybody makes it plus some at-larges. Well, it took us, what, 10 years to get from like two to four. It's going to take us at least another five, six, seven, eight, nine years to get from four to eight. So I don't hate your plan. Uh, I don't hate the idea of 16 teams, but we'll get there in like 2050 <laughs> at the rate college football is going. But eight, eight just makes a lot of sense. Take your, Make sure you have each of the Power Five conferences represented. If there's any undefeated team, like a legitimate team, not, you know, but any undefeated team that, has, that is, is playing Division One football, at that point you have eight teams, they should be in there. So take your, your five Power Five conferences and, you know, on the, on the random year where there's a UCF or whoever that's undefeated, they go in too. And if you want to fill out the last two spots with two more SEC teams, whatever. But decide it on the field because I feel like I'm not the only one sick of watching the same five, six teams every year. Like, if I know the end of the movie every single time, I'm going to stop watching the movie. All right, when we come back, we will uh, we'll get back into the Cardinals heading to the draft. The one area we've talked a lot about them potentially making a move is, uh, is taking a corner at the 16th pick. But do they really need any help on defense after what they've done this offseason? That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. This is The Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Welcome back to the show. Most mock drafts, again, you can find the, uh, the mock draft tracker on ArizonaSports.com. If you're really only interested in what the uh, the Cardinals are doing, that's that's uh, or at least what they are being projected to do, that's that's a really good place to go to get all of the uh, information quickly. Uh, you can also click on all of them, though, if, you, you know, if you're a fan of another team or whatever, and, uh, and you kind of see how the draft plays out. But a lot of them, for a good chunk of this process, had the Cardinals getting J.C. Horn with that 16th pick, and his stock has certainly risen the corner out of South Carolina. And now most mock drafts don't even have him available to the Cardinals at 16. There's a few that have them taking Caleb Farley. I know Gambo on his show with Burns and Gambo has, has pointed out a few times, you know, maybe some hesitation there, maybe uh, from the Cardinals, but who knows? I mean, there's, there's, it wouldn't just be the Cardinals. There's hesitation, I think from a lot of teams. I mean, Caleb Farley's sort of had to address it. Even he got to the point where he felt like he, he needed to. My stance on this all along, you have a lot of needs on this team but because of the job Kime has done this offseason, you don't have a ton of like urgent, pressing needs. You can't miss with that pick this year if they stay at 16. You, you can't afford to miss because you do have needs. But you don't have any one need that's like, oh, yeah, we can't play next season if we don't address this. <laughs> We're going to have some guy off the street just stepping in and, and playing you know, linebacker or, or right tackle or whatever. They've addressed a lot of their needs through free agency in the offseason. So to me, take your board if you're the Cardinals. Whoever you have in that top tier of corners, if they're there at 16, all right, take them. If they're not, I'm not reaching for a corner then at 16. Give me a receiver. If it's not somebody from your top tier there, then go over to offensive line or whatever. I think you can get, you should be able to get 
one of the highest-ranked players at a position where you could use help with the 16th pick. Because again, remember, five of those 15 picks in in front of you are almost certainly going to be quarterbacks. So it's really 10 picks you got to navigate through. And if there's... If you like Patrick Sertan, if you like J.C. Horn, if you like Jalen Waddle, you like Jamar Chase, you, you have uh, Devontae Smith. I mean, right there. If you would take any of those guys, if they're there, then there's your answer. And if not, if they're all gone, then there's only five picks you got to navigate through for any other player you might like. Uh, Steve Keim talked uh, at length yesterday about quite a few things uh, involving the defense and how he's kind of how he's looking at this draft, and obviously he was asked, it makes sense, how he evaluates the cornerback class. I mean, I do, I do think that it's a, it's a deep corner draft. Uh, and again, what's your uh, pick your poison? You know, these guys are all a little different, uh, whether it's Sertain, Horn, uh, Farley. Um, there are guys that can be nickels, you know, nickel only. To me, the nickel position is getting harder and harder to find. I think at one time that was a secondary thought, but the way players, these teams are playing schematically in the NFL, the nickel position is is, is as important as ever. And uh, for us to have a guy like Byron Murphy who can play inside and outside, uh, it gives us tremendous value. But there are guys that can play inside and outside in this draft, some guys that can only play outside. Uh, with their length and their movement skills. So I uh, really feel good about, about uh, that position and the opportunities that may present themselves. But those top three are all very, very good. The, the first two that I just talked about with, with uh, Horn and Sertain, the bloodlines that they come from are uh, obviously very, very good, uh, which shows up in their competitiveness, the way they play the game, the way they approach the game, and they've been very, very impressive to uh, to evaluate this spring. Yeah, now, again, most, most mock drafts, and, and take mock drafts for what they are, they're not the real thing, certainly, but they are based on what a lot of people within the the sport are saying. Most mock drafts now have Sertain and J.C. Horn going well before the Cardinals pick at 16. So if they are looking corner, if they are dead set on taking a corner, by most metrics out there, the next most talented one that would possibly be available is Caleb Farley. And so Steve Kime was asked about him. Like Caleb a lot. Uh, you know, another guy that, that came in early in his career as a wide receiver, they moved him to corner, uh, did not have tape from this past year because he opted out. And um, as far as the medical goes, you know, it's just uh, it's going to be up to our doctors and and trainers. You have to lean on those guys and rely on them. And I'll meet with those guys early next week and and we'll address all of those concerns. But as a player, hasn't even scratched the surface yet, but has got tremendous upside and potential uh, for a guy who is as long as he is. He's got tremendous stop and start ability. And, and really is probably as sudden in transition as any corner in this draft. So he's got a bright future. Yeah, that, that's going to be one of the wild cards of the first round, whether he's even still there when the Cardinals pick. Uh, if he is, if they are interested, and there's a little bit of risk right there, you can make the, the, the argument that you could make that pick if you're the Cardinals, and even if he's not really fully good to go, and you know he's maybe he's a little bit behind this year, you do have corners for this year. You just don't have them pass this year necessarily. You got some, but you're not really set up at that position beyond this year. So maybe the Cardinals are a team that could take the the quote risk on Caleb Farley uh, until you know he's 100 percent good to go. I guess. I mean, there's just a decent chance that he's maybe a little bit behind to start the season. The other side though is that he might just be awesome right out of the gate. You might just have a guy at pick, pick 16 that uh, that should have gone earlier. So there's there's a lot of ways. This is 
we've seen the Cardinals pick in such different spots even over the last few years. Because last year, you're like, you're just at the bottom of the top 10. So a lot of us were hoping that Isaiah Simmons would would drop to them. And you're kind of looking, you're saying, okay, wait, the Chargers are going to take a quarterback and Miami's going to take a quarterback. And all of a sudden, Simmons is there. The year before, you're taking number one overall. It's a completely different draft. It's a completely different way to prepare. And then even the year before that, you trade up and, and you take a quarterback for the first time in forever. The Cardinals hadn't taken a quarterback in the first round in forever. And... uh I don't how how did I don't know how this keeps coming back to Josh Rosen. It's really it's kind of a downer for me. All right, let's get you an update on the Diamondbacks here. They've uh, they've cut into the Braves lead. It's four three right now. We are in the bottom of the seventh inning at this point. Uh, nobody on Freddie Freeman at the plate for the Braves. D backs. One game below 500, so if they can come back and win this game, right there at 500, that's not a spot a lot of people expected them to be at this point in the season. By the way, the, the last run they scored, Josh Rojas doubling in David Peralta. David Peralta coming off the 7-RBI performance yesterday. Uh, and in case you're just jumping in the car, Carson Kelly has another home run today for the uh, the Diamondbacks as well. 9 and 10 on the season, 7 and 7 on the road already. It's it's just it's ridiculous how many road games they have played to start the year, but um again, y- if you look at where they were what, 4 weeks ago, we're looking at a very bleak picture for the Diamondbacks. You're in a division with the Dodgers, you're in a division with the Braves, you're starting the season in San Diego, and all of a sudden Zach Gallon's hurt. And then a couple games in, Cattell Marte's hurt. And like Eduardo Escobar's not hitting anything at this point. And then it all flips. Escobar's hitting. Marte's still hurt. Gallon comes back. You're done with San Diego for a little bit. And if you win tonight, you're 10-10. and 10. That's a pretty quick turnaround. I really do think this team is going to be about a 500 team. It's going to be tough to be much better than that in this division. We did our predictions at the start of the year for ArizonaSports.com. I want to give Tory Lovello the benefit of the doubt. I do think he tends to get the most out of his his uh, his players, especially over the course of 162 games. But to me, the only way this is a playoff team is if is if like everything goes right, and that happens. I mean, there's a couple teams it feels like every every few years in Major League Baseball where it's like they're good, they overachieve, things go their way. To start this season, not a lot was going the Diamondbacks' way for a team that needed everything to kind of go their way. They were getting the exact opposite with Zach Gallon hurt and Cattel Marte hurt. But they're hanging around, and I and I just I think this is I think over the course of 162 games, the Diamondbacks managed by Tori Lovello are are just they're they're about an 80 win, 81, 82, somewhere in there. They're about that range of a team in this division. Which at the end of the day, considering they play 38 games against the Dodgers and the Padres, that's respectable. But it's probably not going to get in the playoffs. So we'll see. We'll see. You never know over the course of the season how how uh, how you might be able to kind of go on a roll and start stacking some wins and make things interesting. But obviously they're going to need more from Madison Bumgarner and some of these other guys. But if you're looking for bounce back guys at the start of the year, Bumgarner was, was obviously the first one on everybody's mind. I would say Carson Kelly and Eduardo Escobar were probably two and three. And... Kelly, in particular, has has absolutely bounced back. And Escobar has been really good, too. After that really slow start, he's been a lot better.
So I'll keep an eye on the D-backs. They're kind of getting lost in the shuffle, certainly, with the Suns making the run they're making and, and the NFL draft coming up here shortly. But, um, but yeah, hanging around tonight, too, against a pretty good baseball team in Atlanta. All right, when we come back, we'll get into the uh, the Suns, what they have left, 13 games. What what qualifies a successful road trip here through the Eastern Conference that they're on right now? What do we really need to see from them here over these final few weeks before the games start to really matter? That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Uh, Ozzie Albies hit a home run as we were going to break for the Braves. Solo home run. So 5-3 Atlanta. They are now in the top of the eighth from Atlanta. D-backs trailing in that one. Uh, let's get back to the Suns. We haven't got to talk about them much here tonight, believe it or not. There's a lot going on, and uh, it's, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. The Phoenix Suns, with the loss last night, dropped to 42-17. and 17. They still have not lost consecutive games in a row, which remains the most uh, impressive stat to me since January 27th. So we're coming up on three months. Three months of a pretty condensed schedule. And they haven't lost multiple games in a row. Now they might on Sunday. They're in Brooklyn. But at least they get a couple days off here. The game last night against Boston. I didn't think Boston played all that great either. But if you're the Suns, you play Milwaukee on Monday. The game goes to overtime. You play the Sixers on Wednesday. And then you play the, the, the Celtics on Thursday. All road games. All different cities. Look, no excuses. I'm not, I'm not saying it in that sense. I'm saying it more, this is, we're getting closer to the level of a challenge that you're going to get in the playoffs. You're not going to be bouncing from team to team. Obviously, you're going to be seeing the same team. You're not going to play three and four nights, most likely. But just the level of competition and the fatigue factor that might come in. As far as this road trip, I mean, it, it, look, four and one would be great. Three and two even is fine. It's it's hard for me to really look at these games right now. Like the game against Brooklyn on Sunday. You want the Suns to win that. You avoid the the, the back-to-back losses, which I think is still a big thing. That's that, that's a point of emphasis on this team. Cameron Payne told us that a few weeks ago when I was on with uh with with Bickley in the midday show. He said Cameron Payne said flat out, yeah, that's something that we we kind of pride ourselves on. We don't we don't stack losses. We lose a game, we bounce back quickly. So I like to see that keep going. But if you know, if they beat the Nets, you can make the, the pushback of, okay, but Brooklyn didn't have Durant or Harden. And if they lose to the Nets, it's like, all right, well, you're 42 and 18. Like, it's not that, not that big of a swing. The bigger issue now is you got 13 games left. Regular season wraps up May 16th for the Suns. You got to stay sharp. And you want to hit the playoffs, obviously. <laughs> it's been so long in this city. But you want to hit the playoffs, like, on a roll, Right? That's what you want to do. You want to hit. You want to be. You want to be peaking going into the playoffs. I really thought Utah had, had, had. We were going to see the Jazz playing as well as they were a month or two ago. I really thought we were going to see them peak during the regular season and start to trail off. They haven't. So credit to them. Even without Donovan Mitchell, they still really haven't trailed off. I don't think the Suns are trailing off because they lost one game to the Celtics, and I don't think they're going to trail off. But I do wonder if you need to to look at the minutes of some of your 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 big four guys. Not as a like, okay, we got to sit these guys, there's 13 games left, they're all going to play eight. Like no, I don't I don't want to do that. I don't I don't want to mess with the the rhythm this team is in. And I I love Monty Williams always wanting to win every game. But like I'm not sure Chris Paul needed to play 38 minutes yesterday. Mikel Bridges played 45. 
I get it. Mikel Bridges is only, what, his third year in the league? He's young. He can do it. All these guys can do it. Chris Paul can do it. But it's a matter of can you do it and still be still have that edge going into the playoffs? You know what I mean? You know, with Chris Paul, I've wondered this. Uh, you know, he's he's missed some games in the past. Played, you know, 54, I think, one year and like 60 one year. Maybe he's just wanting to play like a full season this year. I mean, I know it's 72 games, but but may, maybe he's just like, nah, I don't want to rest. Like, this is finally a year that I've been just healthy end-to-end, knock on wood. But, you know, may, maybe he's just like, nah, I'm playing, I'm playing, you know, normal minutes. I'm I, I'm tired of missing games. It might, it might be something to that. I mean, the Suns have played 59 games. He's played 58 of them. Booker's played 55. Aiton's played all 59. Bridges has played all 59. Like, like I said, this goes, this is counter to, to how I normally think. But let's be realistic about this. The whole load management concept that, that took over the NBA over the last decade or so, it's all happened since the last time the Suns were good. So this is the first time we've really had to kind of look at this through the lens of the Phoenix Suns and be like, oh, load management sucks. Wait, should the Suns be doing that? I, I, it's, it would be tough to go to a guy like Chris Paul and say you're sitting. And I and I wouldn't want to sit him. I just I do wonder if they dial back the minutes a little bit down the stretch here because as 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 much as these games are meaningful to me, they're more meaningful as tune-ups now for the playoffs than your actual your actual place in the standings. I I want to stay top two. I don't want to really get into that three through six mess, and and that's not a guarantee right now. I mean, if you started sitting guys, you you very good chance you would drop to third. I don't think you're going to drop much further than that. You got to stay top three. I do think the Lakers will be fourth or fifth. I, I don't want to play the Lakers in the first round. I just, I, it's, I have no interest in that at all. I do have interest in the Suns playing the Lakers in the playoffs. I think that there's, there's a lot of great that could come out of that. It just shouldn't be in the first round. But this is where Monty Williams, and I'm, I'm sure James Jones will have a say in this to a certain extent, but certainly Monty Williams is going to be the, the, the final word on this. This is, this is the next challenge for him as coach of this team. How important is it to you to be the two seed as opposed to the three seed if dropping down one spot means your guys are 100% going into the playoffs? Because I do get nervous when I see a team like the Clippers who have given the Suns trouble this year, and Kawhi and Paul George have missed a combined 31 games. Again, some of it's injury. Some of it is, though, I mean, especially with Kawhi, he's won championships before. He knows he knows how to, to rest up his body. I just don't want to see the Suns peak in the regular season. I don't think they're going to, but I don't want to leave anything to chance. So I do wonder if some of these games, especially once you get through like Utah and the Clippers, if we're going to see some of these guys they just, just play a little bit less when you're playing Oklahoma City on May 2nd or when you're playing Atlanta on May 5th or... I mean, they don't have a lot of easy games left. Even Golden State on May 11th or whatever. Just stay in the top three, preferably the top two, so you can get an easier, get some team out of that that play-in round. But other than that, got to make sure you hit the playoffs on a run. I don't want to see, I don't want to see a repeat of what we saw yesterday at any point in the playoffs. And Devin Booker was asked last night, how difficult was this game? Three games and four nights. Um, I mean, this is part of the game. Um, it's gonna be tough nights. It's gonna be good nights. Um, just trying to stay consistent. Yeah, I mean, they got to get Booker back on track being Booker, too. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been. Like, if you're going to make this run in the playoffs, obviously, you need Devin Booker to be at his absolute best. 
And I, I just, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't bring myself to worry about Booker. Like, I think he'll be fine when the playoffs start. I think, I think he will hit another level. I know we've never seen him in the playoffs, but I just, I think he's going to hit another level. Uh, quickly over to the Arizona Coyotes, who are still, they've been struggling lately. They got injuries. They've had a tough uh, stretch in the schedule here. They've outshot the opposition 160 to 112 over the last five games, and they've won one of those five games. Overall, they've lost now seven of their last eight, and they've, they've been losing them in regulation, which you really can't do in hockey. you got to find a way to lose these games, uh, at least in overtime, if you're going to lose. And yet, with all that said, they're still in a playoff spot. And the team right behind them is St. Louis, 44 points. The Coyotes have 45. Seems pretty clear one of those two teams is going to make it. Only one of them can. The top three in the division are pretty much locked up, and and the top four make it. So it seems like it'll be the Coyotes or the Blues. San Jose and L.A. are still peripherally in it. And the next three games the Coyotes play, tomorrow in L.A. and then two in San Jose. So if the Coyotes can take care of business against the California teams, which they have done very well this season. If they can do that this weekend, they can they can really narrow this down to a two-team race. race. It'll just be the Coyotes and the Blues. St. Louis, we've said this in the past, they've got three games in hand on the Coyotes. They had four going into last night. But their schedule, the, the Blues schedule coming up, it was Colorado last night, it's Colorado tomorrow. Colorado might be the best team in the league. And then as it stands right now, it's five straight against Minnesota, who is certainly the most improved team in the league and a team that went 7-1 and one against the Coyotes. So there's a very good chance that St. Louis just burns through a lot of these games in hand and doesn't come away with any points. Like the Coyotes might still very well make the playoffs here. They're just going to have to start winning some games. And they knew that their tough stretch of the schedule was pretty much over on Wednesday night. Like there's not there's not really going to be any easy games here because L.A. and San Jose are kind of in the race too. But the Coyotes close out these last nine games: three against L.A., four against San Jose, two against Vegas. Uh, that's that's not easy. But if they take care of business against the California teams, Coyotes pretty good chance they're going to the playoffs. But uh, that pretty pretty much has to start tomorrow. All right, that's hour number one. We'll come back. Hour number two begins with the reload. Next, it's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on ninety eight seven FM Arizona Sports Station. 7FM, Arizona's sports station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here. Jesse Morrison behind the glass. And we will start with baseball, where the Diamondbacks are heading to the ninth inning, and they cut the Atlanta lead back down to 5-4. Uh, in the eighth inning, Wyatt Matheson walking and Paven Smith scoring on a Tyler Matzik wild pitch. So Smith doubled the lead off the uh, the eighth, and he comes around the score, but they are down to their final three outs. Trailing the Braves 5-4 after eight. Starting that uh, series in Atlanta here that will wrap up this just crazy beginning of the season for the D-backs where they played 17 of 22 on the road. It is a very strange schedule for the Diamondbacks because then they come home and they play six in a row against the Padres and the Rockies. All right, and then you go back out on the road again for six more. You don't see the Dodgers till May 17th. Now, I'm not really complaining, but think about that. You're not going to see the Dodgers. The Diamondbacks are not going to play the Dodgers 
until the Suns' regular season is over. And the Diamondbacks have already played 20 games after tonight, and they're still <laughs> so it's almost a month away before they see the Dodgers for the first time. And again, you're going to play the Dodgers 19 times this season. So, uh, but a big uh, big series coming up here right now against the Braves. Luke Weaver started the game tonight. Madison Bumgarner on the mound tomorrow, so hold your breath. And then Zach Gallen is uh, slated to pitch on Sunday. Boy, are there two... I can't remember a time... I'm sure it's happened, but with the Diamondbacks, where you have two pitchers like that that evoke such different emotions pitching back-to-back in the rotation, at the top of the rotation. Like when I say, hey, Madison Bumgarner's pitching Saturday, everybody's like, eh, okay, we don't need to talk about that, do we? Like, Let's just see if he can go six innings. And he was better his last outing. But then when Zach Gallon's pitching on Sunday, you're like, oh, okay, cool. Now, Gallon will give you probably six. He'll give up uh, maybe a run or two. Probably, probably, probably about two runs. Give you a chance to win. Because he does seemingly every time he's out there. Uh, over to basketball. The Phoenix Suns, a loss last night in Boston. This, this road trip through the Eastern Conference against some of the best teams in the Eastern Conference will continue not tomorrow but actually Sunday afternoon at 12.30 against Brooklyn, who I'm watching the Brooklyn game right now in the studio. They're playing Boston. They're up 107-101 with five seconds left. So I'm going to assume Brooklyn's going to win this game unless Boston hits a six-pointer. So that's who the Suns will play next. Brooklyn on Sunday, and they'll wrap up the trip on Monday night against the Knicks. They just looked flat last night. There's really no, no better way to describe it. They made some runs. They got back in the game a few times. There were stretches of that game where it was like, hey, the the, the Celtics go on a, a 14-0 run, and now the Suns go on an 8-0 run, and the Celtics go on a 9-0 run, and the Suns go on a 7-0. Like, it was just it was a very strange game. It was like watching two people talk to each other that don't know how to have a conversation, so they just deliver monologues back and forth. That's what that game was like last night. Uh, but, but the overarching theme for the Suns is they looked like a team that had played three games and four nights on the road. Monty Williams was asked, is it difficult... Or was it difficult for them to come out with the same energy against Boston on Thursday that they had against Philadelphia on Wednesday? Well, I mean, coming off of a, a big win last night, you know, emotionally, you're, you know, it's pretty hard to, to jack it back up and get ready for a, a really good team, a playoff team here in Boston. But I thought our guys did a decent job. It, it just, it is what it is. The schedule doesn't change because, you know, we don't like back-to-backs on the East Coast, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it is what it is. We got to flush this one and get a get some rest the next couple of days. Have a good practice. Um, I think Saturday and uh, get ready for a really good Brooklyn team. So that's all you can do. You can't dwell on it. You got to move forward. And, and um, I think our young guys are learning how hard it is to be a good team. You know, we got teams coming after us now and and that's a good thing yeah you're getting everybody's best shot I'm interested to see how they respond on Sunday not so much because they've got to be 43 and 17 and if they're 42 and 18 I'm gonna panic it's not that it's more how do they respond to a little adversity for as good as this team is and as good as they have been consistent really as they have been all season at least in terms of winning games even if sometimes they don't get there quite the way you want them to against a bad team they're two and two in their last four. And this is a challenge now. You're going to face Brooklyn on Sunday, a team that you had a 24 point lead against earlier this year and lost. True, Brooklyn's missing some players, but you're coming off a loss where you look pretty flat against the, the Celtics. And so 
when the playoffs start, it's obviously the Suns aren't going to in the first round go play Milwaukee and then Philadelphia and then Boston three games in four nights and then Brooklyn. Like you're, you're going to play one team from the West and you're going to be on the same schedule and it's going to be pretty even. NBA playoffs tend to give their teams some some time off between games. It was it was a running joke there for a while, but um, so this this doesn't mimic that exact situation. But it does mimic the, uh, the the pressures in the playoffs just in the sense of here's some adversity for the Suns. You've lost two of your last four. You didn't look real good yesterday. Come out and win on Sunday. That's all you can do at this point is just when you have a little adversity at this point, respond. That's why I keep bringing up the ability to stop losing streaks. You can't even really use that word after one game because that's 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 what the playoffs are. If you're never going to lose more than one in a row in the playoffs, you're going to go pretty far in the playoffs. And Monty Williams, and I know I know a lot of it's Chris Paul too. I know it's not just Monty Williams. It's Devin Booker, I'm sure, as well. But those guys have been really good all season at stopping the bleeding after one game. And I want to see if they can do it again on Sunday. Uh, to the NFL, pretty big trade today ahead of the draft. Kansas City getting some offensive line help in the form of Orlando Brown from the Baltimore Ravens. So the full trade is the Chiefs getting Orlando Brown, Baltimore's second-round pick, which is pick 58, and then a sixth-rounder next year. Baltimore gets the Chiefs' first-rounder this year, the Chiefs' third-rounder this year, and the Chiefs' fourth-rounder this year, plus a fifth-rounder next year. So, you know, Baltimore... Baltimore is still very much in play as a contender in the AFC. It's pretty rare to see two teams at the top of their conference, almost in any sport, honestly, make a fairly big trade like this with each other. Because if you're Baltimore, you're probably looking and saying, okay, we got some picks, and, we, and maybe we need that. Maybe that's that's how we want to approach things. But you know you're a contender going into the season. You know you just made the Chiefs better by trading them Orlando Brown. The Chiefs probably weren't getting Orlando Brown with the 31st pick in the draft. And Kansas City, by the end of last season, by the, that Cleveland game and certainly by the Super Bowl, I mean, they were just so beat up on the offensive line. And you saw Patrick Mahomes finally look a little human because he was just getting thrown into the ground seemingly every other play. So the Chiefs have gone out, and Adam Schefter tweeted this out uh, this afternoon. He said, here's something to make Patrick Mahomes happy. The Chiefs' rebuilt offensive line now includes Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Kyle Long, Austin Blythe, not to mention the return of Laurent Devarney Tardif. That's a pretty, it's a pretty solid offensive line. So, the Chiefs. I would still take them if you told me you have to you have to bet money on one team. If you have to bet something, to bet a car payment or whatever on one team, I'm still taking the Chiefs. Even though the Buccaneers just won the Super Bowl, I think the only real question with the Chiefs was could they fix that offensive line, and they fixed it pretty quickly. Uh, sticking in the reload here over to hockey, the Coyotes in L.A. tomorrow. Nine games left. Their season wraps up on May 8th. They're in an interesting spot just with the way the NHL schedule has played out this year where the the Coyotes, they've had to navigate a little bit of uh, COVID issues, not not with their own team. But as far as like Minnesota had some problems when they were supposed to play them earlier and then Colorado did. And that's why the Coyotes played seven straight games against St. Louis earlier in the season because the league was like, okay, well, if, you, if you're able to play and these other teams can't, why don't you just keep playing St. Louis? But the Coyotes are going to be done on May 8th. 
St. Louis is the team they're competing with for that playoff spot, and the Blues are going to be playing well past May 8th. So there's a pretty good chance that the Coyotes wrap up the season on May 8th in a playoff spot. And then they just have to keep practicing as if they're going to go to the playoffs while St. Louis will still have two games. St. Louis has a game on May 10th and May 12th to close out the year. So it's that's going to be stressful, certainly, for the Coyotes. And if you are a Coyotes fan, because you're decent decent chance you're in a playoff spot and then you just have to sit and wait for five more days hoping that the Blues lose their last couple games of the season. And college basketball, quick note to pass along. Uh, James Akinjo, the U of A leading scorer from last season, is on his way to Baylor. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Ah, yes, it is time now for a round of This or That, the first time that Jesse Morrison has played. Well, actually, is it the first time you've played? Because there were a couple shows I wasn't here for. So did you play? No, we, we didn't. Do okay. This. All right, well, then here we go. So this is simple. It's basically multiple choice, but we only have two choices. So we've made this as, as easy as possible. Totally thrown off. Kelly Oubre on TV in a Warriors uniform. I'm still not totally... Totally used to this. And they're not all rolling their eyes at him taking 10 shots and missing all of them. I'm still not used to him not in a Wizards uniform. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so this or that. I've got four scenarios for Jesse. He's got four for me. We haven't seen these. It's not rehearsed, and that'll become very obvious as we go along. So, Jesse, uh, look, this is your first time. Would you rather be asking the first question or answering the first question? I'll ask the first question. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so I'm going to start off with Cardinals. We, we've talked about this a little bit. Okay. Would you rather have the Cardinals stay at 16 and draft a corner or trade up for Kyle Pitts? <sighs> Boy, it would be more fun to trade up and draft Kyle Pitts, wouldn't it? That, that's just, that's... Yes. Very much so. I guess it depends how much I have to give up. Like, if I do I have to give up a first... Do I have to give up an additional first? Like, do I have to give up next year's first round or two? Probably. Probably do, yeah. Kyle Pitts is a generational talent. Uh, well, he's a generational talent. Where do you think they'd have to trade up to to get him? Because originally it was, hey, if they make the trade with Detroit, they'll get him at seven. But it, it doesn't sound like he's even going to be Four. there at seven. Yeah. Ah, man, I know the smart thing, or the I guess the safer thing is, is to just stay where you are at 16 and, and take whoever, but... I like what Wolf had to say. Dude can't block. Really good receiver, but I like a tight end that can do both. That's why Gronk's so good, is he can just go down there and block and then just run around and score touchdowns, too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair point because, like, they have other tight ends on this roster that can block, but the thing is, if you have to bring them in on certain plays and then Pitts in on certain plays, like, that does cut Corner. into his value. Corner. Yeah, corner, but I, I, I will just, I will reiterate, I don't want to have to reach at corner. Um... All right, what's your first one for Well, me? my first one was a Cardinals question that I'm going to have to change now because you basically... Okay, I'm going to have to alter that one. So while you're answering this next question, I will I will change it. All right, you went to ASU. Yep, I go to ASU, graduate in like a week. So oh, this is the perfect time to ask you then. Would you rather ASU football wins the Pac-12 championship or ASU basketball makes it to the Final Four? Oh, football. Bro, not even, no, no hesitation even. Football, 100%. Okay. Now, explain. Is that because you're just more into football than basketball there, or is it? No, I just you know I just think it would be awesome to see Herm and 
that team and just what they've built actually come into fruition. I think there's a lot of moving parts with the the ASU uh, men's basketball program. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, the only the only reason I might say basketball to the Final Four is just because U of A hasn't been there in so long that I think it would bother them. That would be funny. <laughs> it would be, and that would be crazy. ASU in the Final Four, like the, the, just those two weeks would be insanity. But you're right, Herm. Herm kind of like you get Herm involved. Yeah, it, it's hard to root against. Imagine Herm, Herm winning a championship. Oh. Just, just picture it. The recruiting would be through the oh, roof. Oh my gosh, um, they would become an Alabama. I think if that happened instantly, instantly, <laughs> instantly, instantly, just Alabama. Expand the stadium again. Well, yeah. I mean, if 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 just winning the Pac-12 championship turned them into Alabama, then that would alter my answer. So yes, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, your turn, and and ask slowly while I try and come up with an additional question <laughs> on the fly. Okay, so we had this Super League thing happen in, um, in soccer where the basically big money teams they weren't even the best teams decided to form this big super league so would you like just the top you know 15 teams in college football to do the same thing and then just kind of have the fcs be the rest of the teams i think it would be fun to put together i heard bickley and murata doing this the other day and it's an interesting conversation because you get like the first five or six i mean it's pretty clear because they're the same five or six teams that they always put in the uh, in the playoff. It's a fun conversation to to fill out like spots 10 through 15 cuz once you get down there there's like maybe another dozen schools that kind of are all uh, even-ish. But I don't think I'd like it overall. It's it's where it, what bothers me about college football right now is there are times where it feels like this. I I don't think so. I don't No, I'd rather I don't want it to stay exactly the way it is because it's got some issues. But if the if, at that point, once you do that, the other hundred schools or whatever, they're all just kind of diminished, aren't they? Like all the good recruits yeah. would go to the Super League yeah. teams. I mean, all, uh, a listener really liked your uh, your eight team. I think eight, eight eight an eight team playoff is probably the way to go. Yeah. Also, I yeah. should throw this out. Somebody wrote in. Um, Trev wrote in. Chris Paul said in the post game interview he asked Monty to increase everyone's minutes to condition for the playoffs. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> when Chris, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, but he's Chris Paul, and I'm Jesse Morrison. So yeah, I mean, he's. I'll he's, trust uh, CP3 on that one. I'll trust CP3 too. And I know you can't manage your team this way. You just you leave yourself open to a lot of criticism if you go out in like the first round and all your guys look tired. I don't think that'll happen to the Suns, but I, I do wonder how they navigate these uh, these next thirteen games. Uh, okay. Since this is uh, this is really your first full show with with uh, with nobody else back there when I've been here, I gotta ask this question just to get to know you: deep dish pizza or thin crust? Like cracker thin crust or like just like you know New York style? Yeah. See, there's a flaw to this question, and, I, I, and that's part of the test. I wanted to see if you were gonna if can you I, were can gonna I give a non-answer. You you can. Okay, I'm gonna give you a kind of non-answer. Okay. So my kind of non-answer is. I like both. It depends on the toppings. Huh. Explain. So, so like, if I'm going to go with a Works or Supreme pizza, I want it on, like, the thinnest crust possible. Really? Because then you're really accentuating the toppings. But, you know, I make deep dish pizza. And so, you know, when I do that, I only do, like, you know, one or two toppings. I almost I thought you were going to go the other way with that and say, like, if I'm going the Works, I want that on the deep dish because I don't want it to overwhelm the Okay, that's... Okay. Because you're, you're you're focusing more on the crust in a deep dish, and when you're when you have a thin crust, you're focusing more on the toppings. I like this answer. So 
is your preferred crust, is that New York style? Is that, and that just wasn't an option I gave you? Like, if you could only have one crust for the rest of time. Yes, because my favorite pizza place of all time is in in upstate New York, small town, and it is New York style. So okay. I will I will answer that that style. Well, and, and and to be clear, that is the correct answer, New York style. And I didn't ask it because I wanted to see if you were going to go more thin or, or deep dish. But, I do uh, like Chicago style. Though. I like no, both. Nothing I like wrong both. with Chicago. Look, I mean, the, the great thing is we don't have to choose. <laughs> we can just eat them all. Exactly. All right, your turn. All right, so this is a food-related question as well. Nice. Because I had some really good queso today. Mm. So uh, I'm, I'm just basically like the secondary dip that you get at um, a Mexican restaurant. Do you go with the guac or the queso? Because they always bring you the salsa. But do you go with the guac or the queso? I think it depends what you're eating and also what sort of mood you're in, like, you can convince yourself guacamole is like, oh, it's avocado. It's good for me, right? Like I'm having avocado. It's full of sour cream and, and salt and, and all that salt, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I'm just eating a, a avocado in a different form. Whereas queso, you really can't convince yourself that's good for you. You know, you're just like, um, that's liquid cheese. Um, <laughs> there's really no way around it. Uh, at this exact moment, I, you know, this is, I'm going to give you an unanswered. Normally, I go guac. Okay. At this exact moment. I'm pretty hungry. I'd go queso. I gotta be honest. Good I, I love how the music stopped right there too. Just a second. Just it to stops the every point. time it re goes into the Price is Right. Game. But but it stopped right there at just the right time because I was like doing the reveal of the answer and it was like <laughs> oh, I can't have any music. Um. Okay. Well, down the stretch, would you rather the Suns rest up a little bit here heading into the playoffs, or is it more important to you that they get the number one overall seed in the West? Starters play 28 minutes. That I think. I think that could still get you the number one seed. Oh, really? Just just twenty eight minutes a game. You, you want know? them both? Yeah, want them both. But <laughs> but I I think you you gotta keep the legs going to keep the energy and everything. Chris Paul's right there, but just not 38, 40 minutes. You know, twenty five, thirty minutes. Just yeah, that extra little bit of rest, and then you expand your because Suns are a pretty deep team right now. That's the thing. I I, I don't have a problem letting the bench play a little bit. Yeah, too. I'd like to see Monty get like a specific rotation because that's something that I they haven't you know had this year. It's like random Frank Kaminsky, and some sometimes he'll play, and sometimes Dario's hot, and then you'll see Langston Galloway, but then you won't see him for two weeks. So I think it would help solidify the bench heading into the playoffs, and I think it's more important to. You know, have that solidified bench, then get a one seed because we've, you know, two seeds, three seeds have won the championship. The seeding doesn't really matter that much. I would say the one thing is if they do, if they consider doing any resting or whatever, I want them to do it like soon, not obviously against the Clippers or the Jazz, but after that, because I don't, I don't like the whole like, okay, there's five games left, let's rest up now for the playoffs. Like, I'd rather rest up a few weeks before the playoffs and then start to ramp up and get guys going and everybody's playing and like on a roll when the playoffs start. Yeah. Um, all right, you got one more. I do have one okay. more. Um, so, watch the D backs up here and, and on my side of the glass. Uh, and I, I've always won- wondered uh, with other people, you know, would you rather be a you know, dominant starting pitcher or come in as like a flame throwing relief pitcher, a crazy relief pitcher, you know, that talks to himself and, you know, has like a heavy metal entrance song with flames on the scoreboard. Uh, the entrance is obviously a lot better for a closer. My personality, though, and I know that this is going to sound funny from somebody that hosts an evening show, I don't like waiting around 
to do my job. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's literally what you do. I'm literally the closer it's at the station. Do. It's yeah. all you do. <laughs> we need like good intro music when I come in. <laughs> no, I, I think that like, yeah, I, I would rather, I'd rather be the starter and, you know, especially if I'm only going to pitch every five days, like I know my schedule, like this really is the exact opposite of my life right now. I would know my schedule and I wouldn't have to wait around to work. <laughs> So maybe this is speaking to a bigger picture, but I, I would I would prefer to be a starting pitcher. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us here tonight. Great job to Jesse Morrison. Thanks to uh, thanks to him behind the glass. Thanks to everybody for listening. Hope everybody has a great weekend. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been the rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.